0: you'll have to fix it. Wasn't that great having the, having the youth worship team this morning? Yeah. Yeah. I was cheesing the first service a little bit because at the start of the service, they were all sitting way back there. And I didn't know if it was because of me, they were afraid of me, or maybe they saw the youth worship team was up and they thought, oh no, it's going to be loud and it's too early and they're going to be on the drums. And there wasn't anybody on the drums. And it was, it, was, it was that nice kind of acoustic, unplugged feel almost. Well, they were plugged in still, but the, it, didn't, it, it, it had that feel to it. That was, that, was, that was really great. Thank you. Thank you for giving yourselves to us as a church family in that way. It's New Year's Eve. It's almost a new year. We're not there yet, but it's, but it's near upon us. On New Year's Eve, we, let me do this right, we, we stand on the edge, almost into, leaning into a new year, and, and all of the opportunities that it, that it has before it. And you can kind of leave behind that stuff of 2017. If you, if you still are one of those people that still has a checkbook and you write checks, you're going to have to train your mind now to, to um, 2018. Fortunately, if you use a debit card, well, the machine does all that for you. And, uh, but a new year, wondering what's ahead. Many people will be making, are you making New Year's resolutions Thinking about New Year's resolutions, some people do, some people don't. If you don't, maybe it's because you've sighed, (sighs) what's the use? You have joined the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, saying what I would do, that I don't. And what I would not do, this I still find myself doing. So resolutions, why bother? I was listening, and theologically you might be thinking to yourself as well, you know, that New Year's resolutions, that's just people trying to, trying to gather themselves up and, and, and work real hard to, to change themselves and to make themselves better. So no, as a Christian, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Well, I'm happy for you and your theological astuteness. I was listening to Christian radio Station coming in this morning, a Christian music station. Don't you love how early in the morning they can be so bright and cheerful? That's so helpful. Uh, they're talking about New Year's resolutions. They're talking about how, you know, so many people's, the vast majority of people's New Year's resolutions, they, they uh, fail by early February. Boy, that doesn't promise a lot, does it? That doesn't encourage you to say, well, I gotta, I gotta jump into this. But they had the answer. They were saying there, this, this uh, uh, happy and excited early morning bubbly host was saying that, listen, this is what, it's because your, your news, let's say you decide, well, I need to eat better this year. I need to lose some weight this year. Well, well, that's not really a good resolution. That won't really help you. You need to be more specific. You need to have, have, have clear, measurable goals. You need to say, okay, I need to, I need to drop 20 pounds by June. And if I'm going to drop 20 pounds by June, now that's measurable. We know too well how measurable that is. Then, then, then by April, how many pounds do I need to have lost? And, and by February, where do I need to be? And what do I need to be doing by January and into February if I'm going to achieve that goal? So if you have smarter and clearer goals, you can do this. And that's when those of you who are theologically astute would say, yes, but still you're relying on yourself. That's the whole problem with this New Year's resolution thing. Yes. And yet, our faith does tell us that we are to do something, doesn't it? Our faith tells us that we are to act. And I love this old hymn. You didn't know it was a New Year's hymn. Those of you who have heard this hymn before. But but it, it reminds me of that because the hymn starts out like this. I am resolved. Right? There's your resolution. I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured my sight. They have captured my vision. They have drawn my heart. And I'm compelled To run that way, I will hasten to Him. As the young lady reminded us, it's all about Jesus, really. So, there's something about this resolution. Every command you read in the Bible is a call for resolution, a determination of the will upon which we will act. But our resolve is to be out of faith not merely out of our flesh not merely out of our own natural humanity not merely out of our own best efforts but our our resolve is to be out of faith it's what the new testament calls the obedience of faith we do because we believe and actually almost everything that we do is it flows out of things that we are believing whether we can really put our fingers on them or not but we do the things we do because of either the truth or the lie that we're believing so the new testament calls us to having been been illumined by god's truth then to do in faith trusting in god's truth This is what Paul means when he expresses that seeming contradiction that we are to work out our own salvation. If I paused right there, you would have some trouble with that. How is it that I could work out my own salvation? But Paul says, work out your own salvation. Work out what is because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That God is working in us by his indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul is assuming at that point with the audience that he's writing to, he's assuming that they are believers. They are believers in Jesus as their Savior. They are born again. They are indwelled by the Spirit. And so they work out what God has already worked into them. That they work out. Now they live out. They take intentional steps. But even those intentional steps are are encouraged, are called, are drawn into by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pushing and prodding at times. This sounds, no, I'm not going to say it that way. Um, but the Holy Spirit can be very persistent in his pushing and his prodding. I mean, if we, if, we, if we resist and we resist and we ignore over here, well, He'll sneak around over on the other side, and all of a sudden it's coming at it from a different direction, but it's still the same point. It's still the same move. It's still the same point at which I need to yield. The Holy Spirit can be very persistent as God is working in us, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. And so, not unlike on New Year's Eve, there's a point in the scriptures where we seem to find ourselves standing on that edge. With the old in the rear view mirror, I got a backup camera in my, in my Jeep for Christmas. Now I can look at the radio and the radio is different. The radio is new. The radio has all kinds of capabilities now that so I don't even know how to step into yet. But one thing I do know, it can show me what's behind me as well as I can see clearly what's ahead of me. And and in this verse that I want us to To consider this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Normally, we're we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a particular series. But today on New Year's Eve, I want us to just pause and take a step back and look at the bigger picture: who we are together as a church, where we are going, what we're to be about. What are the essentials of our church life, our body life, our, our being in this family together? What does that look like? Where are we pulling so that we're pulling in the same direction? So I want to focus a little. On some things, some things you've heard before, but uh, bear repeating, be repeating, they bear reminding one another of. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a verse, verses 16 and 17, that, that have us on that edge, with the old behind us, the new in front of us, just waiting like a new year for us to step into. From now on, Therefore, from now on, from this point forward, from now on says something has changed, something radical, something everything is different from now. It was like this, but now, from now on, we regard, we understand, we perceive, we know no one merely according to the flesh, according to how we understand them naturally, according to how we would know them in their natural humanity. No, because there's more to them than that. There is, in fact, more to anybody than what we know them merely in our fleshy relationship, our external, our natural humanity. There's more to anyone than that. In fact, everyone, the person that troubles you the greatest, is Someone whom God loves, who is actually created in the very image of God. And yet you would say, other than the fact that they walk upright, you can't really tell that naturally in the flesh by looking at them or interacting with them. In fact, this particular person who troubles you so much, there's nothing in your interactions with them that remind you at all that they are created in the image of God. And yet, now by faith, you know that they are, because that's what God's word says that you and I are. And even the one who is has fallen and yet unredeemed and rejects Christ, the Savior, yet still they are made. That image of God in them is defaced, but it's not erased. They still are image bearers. We know that by faith. God has done something in his intervention in humanity. At a point when God intervenes and sends Jesus, the incarnation, and he redeems humanity at the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the redemption is, 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 is finished and is now for us to step into, individually to receive. To believe for myself on Jesus as Savior and then to step into that new life that whoever believes on Jesus Christ will not perish but will have everlasting life, eternal life, eternal life that doesn't end, that starts now. From now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ himself according to the flesh, Paul says. When Paul first looked at this man named Jesus from the town of Nazareth, he did not see him as a Messiah, Christ-like figure at all. He, he would teach in a different way than the rabbis and the Pharisees. He would, he would uh, say some things that were sometimes puzzling and hard to understand, and yet he didn't meet most of the religious people's expectation of what Messiah would be and would do for them in their view according to the flesh. And yet, when Jesus asked, well, who do men say that I am? And some say this and some say that. And he asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, starting with your faith in Christ, this was not something you knew out of the flesh. This was something you knew in a new way. By God's illumination. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus. We regard him thus no longer. We now know him according to what God has said about His Son. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Because Jesus is different than we thought. So also those who are now in Christ, those who have been identified with Jesus, those who have believed in him, and his death is their death, and his resurrection is their resurrection. All of that we understand by faith in what God has said. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now Paul is using some word plays here to say two things at once. He's saying that we are new in Christ and he's also saying that things have been made new for us. We are new and yet you say, I'm still the old me. I wish I was new. I wish a lot of things about me were different. Do you ever think that or is it just me? I wish a lot of things about me were different and yet still I wrestle with this, I struggle with that and yet I want to be new. -er. And yet... I'm made new. I'm a new creation. There is something completely new about me in my identity in Christ. I have a new identity. What is it that's really different? What is it that's really new? I have a new standing. I have been forgiven. I have been accepted. I'm free from the debt of sin. I'm free from any obligation or burden to self-justify myself before God. I'm free from any notion to give excuses before God about how I've acted, how I've behaved, how I've sinned, because Jesus paid for all of it. It's done. It's forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. I don't have to try to justify myself. I don't have to excuse myself. I can simply confess. I send. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness in Jesus. I have a new standing. I have a new identity. I was an outsider. I was without hope and without God in the world. But you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I was an outsider and now I am family. I have been made a child of God. I was an enemy. I was against God and his purposes. I was an enemy serving the enemy, and now he has made me his own ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. I'm God's set-apart unique one for his own special purposes. I was a beggar. I had nothing to offer. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to his cross I cling. I was a beggar, and now I'm an heir. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. And I say these things about me, me. I say these things about I, but these are true of every one of us who are born again through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. What I mean by that is I believe that Jesus died for me, for my guilt. You believe that Jesus died for your guilt before God, that you are fully forgiven because what Jesus did for you, not what you do for yourself that faith in Christ and his death and resurrection for us, I have a new standing before him. I have a new identity. So that what I do does not define who I am. What Jesus did defines who I am. What you do, you see, we get in this spiral and the enemy whispers in our ear and things are good between you and God and you're happy and you like this relationship and then you do something that you know just doesn't fit at all with this And then you let the enemy whisper in your ear and he says, you see, that's who you really are. That's what you do. That's that's who you really are. You've been pretending this Christian stuff, but this, this, this this shows who you for who you really are. No, that's a lie. This reminds me of who I was before Jesus intervened, and yet who I am now is an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ, a child of the King, Destined for glory, being transformed into the likeness of His Son from glory to glory. Oh, I may, I may, I may still run out and, and 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 think I play where I no longer belong, but what I do does not define who I am. God has defined who I am in Christ. But what, who I am, rather? Who I am should define, should direct, should inform, should influence, should control what I do. So what I do does not define who I am, but who I am should define what I do. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have a new creation calling, a new mission to live in. I now, as verse 15 says, if you looked back, it says, I now live for him who died for me. This new identity as a child of God brings with it new desires to please the one who loved me and gave himself for me to do his will rather than my own. The indwelling spirit of the new covenant stirs up within me not only the desire to walk with God but his enabling grace in me to be able to do it. So that Paul expresses it in Galatians this way. I've been crucified with Christ, and yet I live. I'm alive. And yet this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How I live now, I live by him and his means and his resources in me and for me rather than on my own. So this whole thing about New Year's resolutions are not my own efforts of what I'm going to do for myself, by myself, to improve myself, but is maybe my next response to, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to resolve? Where would you have me no longer linger? What higher things do you call me to? This new calling, this new identity then and purpose and mission that we step into is, is expressed in verse 18. I didn't put 18 on the slide, but it but follows right after verse 17. All of this new is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God given us a whole new purpose in life, in this world, in this community, in the universe. That is to be his agents of this gospel to everybody else now that he's given it to us. As a church, we express that statement of our identity and mission, who we are and so what we do. What we do flows out of who we are. Our identity and mission, we express it this way, and this is right on the back of your bulletin today. It's in the bulletin somewhere every week. In fact, we could start a new thing. You could, you could, when you get the bulletin each week, you say, okay, where is it? Where is that statement? And look through it, comb through it. I could get Rochelle to hide it in different places week to week. And you could search it out. You could find it, okay? This is what it'll say every week. BP Church is a family in Christ. Identity. Being changed by God's truth and impacting others by his grace. Mission. A new identity, flows into a new mission. We are family in Christ, being changed by his truth and impacting others by his grace. We live that out in three basic thrusts. Say, That's who we are. That's what we do, but how do we do that? Three basic thrusts. These came together for me several years ago and uh they weren 't completely my own. i I borrowed it somewhat from another pastor down down the road, far off down the gorge somewhere and he and he said he he really needed to simplify that that people in his church like our church we, we were busy in many things. but what is it that 's essential really? Do you remember that line that um that interaction with Mary and Martha. Jesus has come to the house and he's teaching and, and one of the sisters is very busy. Martha is very busy doing all these things and Mary's not helping a bit. She's not helping get lunch together. She's not helping get the roast out of the oven. She's not helping put the biscuits in and uh, she's just sitting there with Jesus listening to him tell stories, and explain stuff. It's like, well, plenty of time for that some other time, isn't it? We got to get dinner on the table, And Jesus, tell my sister to help me in the kitchen. And Jesus says, Martha, you are busy about many, many things, but only one is essential. Mary has chosen a better thing. It's not going to be taken from her. We can be busy even in the midst of churchy stuff with many things, and there are some essentials that we should focus on. That's what I want to remind us on. I'm not just going to tell you anything that you haven't heard before. So if you're really pressed for time, you could go ahead. But if you stick around, I'm going to tell you something that we've heard before, or at least I think I've said before. Part of the trouble is I think I say things, and yet it wasn't really heard. And I, I, I don't want to, like, insult people by just repeating and repeating, but I realize that's, that's how it works. That's how it works for me. you got to tell me something three times. So I suppose that's true for everybody. So it's good for us to remind ourselves now and again what's really important that we should focus on? How we live out this new identity as family in Christ so that we are being changed by God's truth and that we are impacting others by his grace. What does that look like? Three thrusts, and you've seen these before. Worshiping together, growing together, and serving together. I can be involved in many things, but I would like you to involve yourself in one each of these. Let many things fall aside. Focus on this. I'm going to devote myself to worshiping together. I'm going to devote myself to growing together in some place, some way, growing together with other growing believers, and I'm going to devote myself in some way of serving together with others. All those are together. This is how we live to, as family. So worshiping together, first of all, make worship together a priority. There are many things that will collide and, and put demands on our lives and we go here and there and there's lots of stuff going on and to do. Make worship together a priority. Don't let other things get in the way. Ephesians 5.18 talks about, it, it describes the filling of the Spirit. So, I want to be filled by the Spirit. I want to be under the influence of the Spirit. I want to have a Spirit's influence active in my, in my life. I know this is an influence of being led by the Spirit, being controlled in some way by the Spirit, because Paul contrasts it to being drunk. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be under divine influence. Okay? And what does that look like? Well, when you're filled with the Spirit, Paul says it looks like singing spiritual songs and hymns to one another and making melody to the Lord. Where do we do that? I'm convinced that one of the places that you feed your soul is in worship together. Not just because the singing's together, or or is better when we're all together. Not just because that learning from God's word is better then, but there's something about God's family together. There's something about the body of Christ joined together, and in ways, even in our worship, ministering to one another sometimes you will, you will come together, but your heart cannot sing this morning, and you need to hear your brothers and sisters sing. Your soul needs that. There are times when you will come and, oh, let's face it, some of you can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm with you. Evan won't let me in the choir, okay? We've settled that a long time ago. But... Somebody needs to hear a word of encouragement from you or somebody who you will notice that morning and you'll put your arm around them and you'll say, let's pray. And you will. And you'll direct another one's heart with yours towards the throne of grace where you find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And that's the family working together in the body of Christ. That's worshiping together. Hebrews 10, verses 22 to 25, describing the urgency of the hour. There's a situation there where the, where the culture at large is very much against these Hebrew Christians at that stage in the, in the early 60s, in the, in, the, in the first century. And there is much against them, and they are urged Concerning their faith to draw near, to hold fast, to help one another. Verse 22 begins, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Because of all this, all this is true about Jesus and what he's done for us. Let us draw near. And it says in verse 24, no, verse 23 rather, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So hold fast, even when you don't see it yet. Well, what will help us to hold fast? Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up. I grab hold of that phrase right there. I feel that's one of my obligations. My job is to stir people up. Maybe not always in a good way. I should read further. Let us stir up one another to love and good works. Oh, Okay, consider one another how to stir one another, how to encourage one another, how to lift one another in love and good works. Not neglecting to assemble yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming. We talk about a worship service and oftentimes that worship service seems to be a place where there are those that prepare and there are those who serve so that the church together can come together and receive this service and benefit from it. And in that perspective, we're missing something. That our service of worship is presenting ourselves to God and participating in the care of one another, participating in the encouragement and the uplifting of one another in singing together, in praying together, in rejoicing in God's truth together, in speaking it into the lives of one another. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The enemy would love us to give up on it. Along with worshiping together is growing together, being changed by his truth. We need to grow together with other growing believers. You need to be connected with others, not merely as friends, but as followers of Jesus. Not just connecting together with other people and even other Christians, but but be the one in the midst of those gatherings to make it Christian, to make it about Christ, to bring Him into the conversation and into the mix. But do you have a group of others? who are seeking to grow in Christ, and you join them, and you are seeking to grow together. You gather together for the purpose of we're going to feed ourselves from God's Word. We're going to interact with one another on how we respond to it. We know one another here. We're known by one another. Uh, Speaking of things relating to New Year's resolutions, I I read an interesting article. This was was to be helpful, uh, the most helpful New Year's resolution. Even even Fox News can be insightful, okay? <laughs> he says, this, the, this author says, if you're too busy to read millions of lists of possible New Year's resolutions, let me save you the time. Just make this one resolution. Resolve yourself to t- resolve to tell yourself the truth about a very important topic. You. Most of us don't do that. I'm not suggesting that we're compulsive liars, he says, that every word coming out of our mouths is a fib, or like Jack Nicholas's Colonel Nathan Jessup in A Few Good Men, we can't handle the truth. Rather, I'm saying that many of us bury ourselves alive under a pile of lies or self-deceit, and the result is we keep ourselves from being what we ought to be, from doing what we ought to do. We never discover what could be because we weigh ourselves down. We're usually much better at being honest with others than we are at recognizing the truth about our own lives. I think he's, he's, I think he's getting close to something here. This aspect that we, we often will tell the truth about others, but we're not quite as good at telling the truth about ourselves, especially to ourselves ourselves. I need somebody else's perspective. I need somebody else who can see things about me that I can't see. I mean, think of it. Where would I be in the morning without a mirror? I would be a mess when you saw me in the morning. My hair would be sticking this way and that way. And, and Well, you say it is. Well, the mirror did its, as best as it could. You know, we can only do with what we've got to work with. But where would you be without other perspective? Others who know you and whom you trust who will tell you something that you need to hear. I go out to eat with Julie. She's helpful. I have a little mustard down over here and she gives me this little signal. You know, you just you know, right here, click the napkin just right here. Oh, so I, wrong side. She's got to get me over to the other side then. And, but she, I would never know. I would, I would have mustard on my face for the rest of the day. If it wasn't for somebody who, who loves me, who has my best at heart, who will dare to tell me, dude, you got mustard all over your face. We need, we, we grow best. When I was training for Hood to Coast, I was a runner for a year. Only a year. I did that once. Been there, done that. It, it was a great time. I, I, ho- I hope people enjoy that whole running thing. But... For the year, I, I was going to train because I was not going be to the, be the one holding the team back. And I trained and had a good time. And, but, but I found that I ran better when I ran with others. I trained my best when I was running with somebody else. I ran some five-mile prep runs with Brad Williams. What was I thinking? I mean, the guy's an Ironman. The guy does a marathon, and I'm running five miles with him. About died. But I ran a better five miles than I ever would have on my own, right? We grow better when we grow together with others. We need to be connected with a group of other growing believers. This is a place where I can be known by others and they know me. These are people that will pray for me. These are people that I can pray with and pray for. Growing together. Be this year, part of a small group, a growth group, a, 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 a class here, a place where you can be known by others and they can know you and you can interact around God's Word together. You can be growing together with other growing believers. Grow deeper in God's Word. I mentioned miracle grow. Miracle grow is good for tomatoes and flowers and things like that. God's Word is our miracle grow. We will grow as we receive God's Word and yield ourselves to it. We yield to God's word, it'll change us. As Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure milk of God's word, that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you believe in Jesus, soak in his word, let it change you. Read the Bible through. You've done it before. Read the Bible through. I don't care if you do it in in a year. I don't care if you do it in six weeks. It's possible to do it in six weeks. You won't get a lot of television in, but it's possible. But read the Bible through. Get get again. Remind yourself of passages that, that, that you forgot were there. That's what happens when you read through the Bible. You discover stuff you didn't even know that was in there. You say, yeah, I tried that before, but you know, I got into Leviticus and there was all this sacrifices and killing. And Okay. Don't get bogged down in the details of how each one is done and which ones have fat and which ones don't. Don't get into all the gory details of it, but think about this. All these ugly sacrifices, every one of them points to, this is the cost of sin, and that's what Jesus did for us. And the sacrifices that are ugly, you don't like to read about, just think, that's what Jesus did for me. Okay, and you get on. You get past Leviticus and the sacrifice, and then you get into genealogies. You go to the book of Numbers. They pop up all over again in in Chronicles. Goodness. It's like name after name after chapter after chapter. How can I read through? Okay. You don't have to read them out loud. You don't even have to try to pronounce them. But acknowledge that they're there and then keep reading because every one of those names is important to God. He didn't miss a one. They also provide a chain that goes all the way from Adam down through to Jesus. So there's something of Christ in that genealogy, but there's something as well that God knows them and God knows you. So take it, he knows me. And what I do matters too. And then keep right on reading. You've gotten through the sacrifices, you've gotten through the genealogies, now you're getting to the good stuff, the prophets and the gospels. And away you go. Read the Bible through. Memorize it. Memorize God's word. I don't, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a verse a week, if it's a verse a day, if it's a verse here and there. As you come across, say, that one's for me and I'm going to grab hold of it. But hide God's word in your heart. You say, well, I don't need to. I used to memorize, but now I've got the, got the Bible right here on my phone. Well, that's great. Chances are the enemy does not tempt you when you have your phone out with the Bible app open. He waits till you have your phone out and the internet open instead. That's where he tempts you. Or some other time when your Bible app is not open, there the temptation comes. But if I've hidden God's word in my heart, it's always there. It doesn't have to load first. And it's there and it's ready. And just as, just as Jesus answered the enemy and his temptations, were, which were direct and real, he answered each one of them. By God's word, so can we. We will be strengthened in our stand and our walk with our Savior, not drawn aside by the enemy's lie because we've hidden God's word in our heart. Memorize it. Read, read it through. Memorize it. Read God's word deeply. Not only read it through, but but also do a little bit of reading where you read deeply. You read meditatively. You read considering. You read with a pen in hand. You jot stuff down. Maybe you keep a journal you're going to keep forever because you do that. You don't read them anymore, but you keep it forever. And your great-grandchildren are going to, maybe, they won't even have books by then, but maybe they'll read it. We don't know. But I don't care if your journaling is simply a folded over piece of paper that when you fill that one up, then you lay that aside and you get a new one. But Read with a pen in hand, notice things, mark stuff down. And when the the Spirit impresses upon you something you need to do about that, connect that with that verse, connect it with that truth. And what the Spirit is telling you, Lord, what would you have me to do? Nothing energizes your Bible reading by stepping into it in life, by doing something with it. Man, that will turn it on. Worshiping together, growing together, serving together. Informed by receiving God's word, by growing together with others, you will be strengthened, you'll be growing so that you can be serving together. Impacting others by his grace. Find your place of service, of giving yourself away. This is critical for our growing together as well. Growing together, serving together, those two are linked because we are growing into the likeness of Christ From from image to image, from glory to glory, we are being transformed into his likeness. What does that look like? The son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I cannot grow in his likeness if I'm living for me. If I'm ordering my life around me and my goals and my own ambitions and what I want out of it. I will grow into his likeness as I give myself away, as I am, in Paul's words, spending and being spent for the sake of the gospel to others. That's when I'm going to step into more and more of his likeness into my life. Find a place of service. I got a white card last week. You know, we get these communication cards. You put them in the offering. We encourage you to do that. And some of you actually do. It's really cool. We get a stack of them, a few of them, every week. And I got one from a 10-year-old girl last Sunday. And she asked, what I would like to know, she says, I would like to know what a 10-year-old girl can do to serve in this church. I say, yes, that's a win. So what can a 10-year-old girl, well, one of the things a 10-year-old girl can do to serve in this church is join the Sunday school. Be part of that class. Not only is she going to learn, but she's going to help others learn. Interact with those others. Serving them in the midst of that connection place. That's a growing together place. Not only that, she could be there with mom, dad, family. She could be right at that door greeting you next Sunday morning. I don't know. She could be part of, with family or others, she could be part of the cafe crew. Maybe eating a cookie or two as well, but putting them out and Ten-year-old girl put in a, in the offering basket last week. How can a ten-year-old serve in this church? I didn't get any of those from twenty-two-year-olds, or thirty-year-olds, or sixty-seven-year-olds. I didn't get those last week. Maybe this week. You're serving together. You'll be, you'll be growing together in the midst of serving together and serving together and invite someone else to join you. you we've got a ministry need and we're gonna, we, we've got to get more people to serve in this place. So, pastor, could you make an announcement? I can, and it won't help. The best way for you to draw somebody else into serving is to prayerfully consider, Lord, who, first of all, and, and then tap somebody on the shoulder and say, you know, would you, would you help me here? Would you join me in this? I think, I think there's some things in you and point out one or two of them. Th- that would make you great in this area of ministry that I've been in. So it means you've got to get to know somebody so you can do that genuinely and draw others into serving with you that we're serving together. Now, you may assume, well, somebody else could do that better. You know, I'd, I'd help, but other people can do it better. And misses the whole point of what God would do. Because God's purpose is not in getting stuff done. God's purpose is his work in each of you, in each of us. And so there's no way that somebody else doing it is going to better do God's work that he intends to do in you and in me. That's going to take our involvement you may assume, well, I've done that before. It's somebody else's turn. Well, if serving is our act of worship, if, if, if yielding our, ourselves to God is our spiritual service of worship, then let's equate the two. Serving together. Well, I did that before, so somebody else should now. It's kind of like singing. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to sing this week. Why? Because I sang in the worship service last week, so somebody else's turn to, serve, to, to, to sing this week. Well, that would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Why would I keep myself from singing just because I did that before? And God actually awakes my heart as I move my vocals. And God reminds me of things. Do you have that happen? In the midst of singing, it strikes you what you're singing. And you get it a little deeper or at least fresh for today that you weren't thinking about it that way when you came in this morning. And so it is with serving together. This is worship. It seems sometimes that we want to get you involved just because we've got things that need doing. Actually, in the church, if there's a, if, if there's a thing that we do but that people aren't serving in, it's a, we're no longer finding the people that the Lord is leading to serve in that area, we will genuinely consider, is that something we should keep doing? Because our goal is not to keep people occupied. Our goal is not to stay busy in many things. Our goal is to be walking with the Lord and doing what he would have us to do together. Our goal is not because we've got stuff that we want to get done. It's because God has things that he wants to do in you and through you. And I'd urge each of us, find that place where you can give yourself away for the sake of others. In ways that God has made you to do, he's created you to do. And you say, well, I'm not sure where that is. Well, start, start knocking on doors. Start trying places. Try this fit. Try that fit. Try that fit. Try something. Get going. It's a lot easier to steer a, a moving ship than it is to turn one that's standing still, right? Even a car. If you ever tried that with a car, you probably don't have any experience with ships. So let's deal with cars. Try turning the steering wheel when the car is parked, Right? Power steering doesn't help here. You know, you can't cheat with power steering. But with the regular old non-power steering and with the key off, try to, try to turn that wheel and you cannot turn it. It's tough. Yard that thing around. But once it's rolling a little bit, once the, once the vehicle's rolling a little bit, all of a sudden the steering wheel turns real easy and you can just ease over this way, or ease over that way. You know, you can lean back in the seat and you can just have one finger on the wheel and just kind of turn it this way and that way. Easy peasy. To turn you and me when we're already willing to be engaged in whatever it is that the Lord is doing. Finally, what else could I be doing serving that whole ministry of reconciliation thing? Begin to pray anew. Begin to pray again. Begin to pray still for those that you would like the Lord to use you in sharing the gospel with. Oh, Lord, would you open up a door in these next days, weeks, months, year, would you open up a way for me to share with this person, with that person? The people that you come across in the rhythms of your life. A friend of mine has a has a has a system for this. He calls it his seven for heaven. I don't care if you've got seven or eight or three, but who are you praying for? Say, God, I want you to use me in the life in their lives. And so begin praying for them specifically. Make that a habit together. In these ways, worshiping together, growing together, serving together, we will be a family in Christ. We will be growing in God's truth, being changed by God's truth. We will be impacting this community, these people around us by God's grace. I urge you, worship together. Make worship your priority in here and from here. Grow together. Get connected. Use that bulletin. There's a list of groups starting. And if you don't see a group there that's <clears throat> going to work or, or there's not a, you're not sure if, they, if this group or that group has room, you say, I'd like to get into a new growth group, a new group at home some night during the week. or Put that on that card. Make that our, the responsibility of our leaders to help you get a group, find a group, get another group formed. If we can't get you into a group where you can be growing together with other growing believers, go to a church that can. Seriously, can I say it any plainer than that? Get connected into the lives of other growing believers. We have got to do that as a church for our own sakes and for the sakes of God would grow us to reach with his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you so love us. You delight in us. Father, you have made us your own children by faith in Jesus. Lord, first I would just pause right there. Lord, there might be some that are in our midst this morning that do not have that joy. Oh, Lord, right now, right where they are, would you, Lord, lead them in their own hearts to say simply this, I Believe in Jesus, your son who died for me so that my sin could be forgiven because of his death in my place. Lord, right now, I accept your forgiveness and new life, eternal life as your child. And then, Father, would you grow your children? Would you use your children in your glorious work that we might show off Jesus well, that we might, as your family, show your glory to people all around us. We pray it in Jesus' name.